pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 87. Today we're going to chat with Douglas Yearout. I'm going to introduce a new segment called AF, and we're going to talk about the Leopold MK5 HD. I'm your host, Nathan and welcome to the show. All right, so before we get into things, let's hear from Manicore Arms. Uh, I just got word that their triangle stocks are back in stock. And uh, so I know a lot of people were really interested in those. I think that they look great on AKs. I have one on mine. I definitely recommend getting one. It's a really nice upgrade. And if you do decide to buy one, use the code GUNFUNNY15 and that gets you 15% off. And that's at manicorearms.com. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. All right, Doug. So thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. You you came highly recommended by a lot of Patreons, and you just recently became a Gun Funny Patreon. So thank you for supporting the show. So a lot of people want to know, like, how did you get started in the firearms industry? Um, well, I grew up, I was born and raised in a small town in, in North Idaho, uh, about 2,500 people uh, up here. It's just kind of a way of life to hunt and fish, enjoy the outdoors. So from a very young age, I was introduced to firearms, specifically rifles for hunting and things like that. Um, and then it just kind of grew into a hobby where I found that I liked shooting. Then in my early 20s, uh, I became a law enforcement officer. And then the precision rifle thing just kind of was a spinoff of law enforcement. We had talked about possibly putting on a designated marksman position inside our local PD. Um, so I started dabbling in long range a little bit. I became our pseudo range officer for our small PD, and it just all kind of snowballed from there. Nice. Are you still in law enforcement? Uh, no, ma'am. I got out of law enforcement roughly three years ago. I'm currently working for the railroad. Okay. So when did you start doing actual like professional, you know, what is it? PSR stands for uh, precision shooting. Uh, so it's precision. a lot of people refer to it as uh, PRS, precision rifle series is what that originally starts to stand for. Okay. And so when did you um, start doing that? May 2017 is when I shot my first match. Uh, I bought my rifle roughly a year before that. Started messing around, like I said, trying to learn what I was going to do um, if I became a designated marksman for the local PD. Shortly after buying my rifle, I decided to get out of law enforcement. I figured it'd be good to learn to shoot long range for the sake of hunting and harvesting game. So I continued down that path. I met a couple local guys, one that I'd actually went to high school with. We hadn't kept in touch and both of us learned that we were into shooting long range. So I got in touch with him, got in touch with a couple of his buddies and they kind of helped me progress into the sport. I shot my first match May of 2017 and from my first match on, I was absolutely hooked and it was pretty much all downhill or uphill from there, depending on how you look at it. Wow. First of all, I'm sure everybody is already wondering, like, Tell us a little bit about your gear. What is it that you use? Okay, so 
Um, I started out with a Ruger Precision Rifle chambered in 308 Winchester. And then prior to shooting my first match, like I said, I got hooked up with a couple of the local guys who were quite a bit more advanced than I was. And I decided at that point to up my optics and switch over to a 6.5 Creedmoor. I shot the Ruger Precision Rifle that was, I would refer to as highly customized uh, my first year. Had relatively decent luck in some of the local matches. I could finish high, mid-pack, sometimes a little bit better than that. And then I kind of got bit by the custom bug. I bought my first custom that was already built uh, by a friend that I had. So after that, I figured out what I liked in customs. Well, gear's still changing, but I figured out kind of what I wanted in my custom. I got hooked up with uh, another local gentleman who's a gunsmith and was trying to break into the precision rifle scene. And so I had him build me a custom. I'm actually on my going on my second custom with him right now. I shoot a uh, benchmark barrel 6.5 Creedmoor, soon to be chambered in 6mm Creedmoor, with an ultimatum precision deadline action, a Masterpiece Arms BA Comp chassis with a full-blown weight kit, a loophole Mark V, a Timney trigger, and then a Skypod. And the uh, Area 419 Hellfire muzzle brake kind of, that's my basic custom build right now. That's interesting. So we asked the patrons if they had any questions for you. And you said that you start off with a 6.5 and then you quickly moved on to 6 millimeter. What do you think is the best choice and why? Uh, somebody said in comparison, will they both be about the same cost wise? There's a gamut of match calibers right now. Uh, the current swing is to six creed mo- or sorry, six millimeters. I shot a six millimeter last summer for a few matches and then went back to my six five. I'll be going to six millimeter probably permanently for the foreseeable future next month when my barrels rechambered. The six five Creedmoor or any of the six five calibers are great. They're accurate. There's tons of bullet selection for all of them, but the six millimeter offers a little bit better ballistics, a little bit lower recoil. So there's a lot of six millimeters that guys are running in competitions from the six BR variants, such as the BRA, the BRX, or the six millimeter Dasher up to the six Creedmoor, the six by 47 Lapua. There's a lot of different options. I'm personally going to go with a six millimeter Creedmoor and push 112 grain Barnes match burner close to 3000 feet per second. I figured that a lot. Give me a high BC bullet that's pushed relatively fast. So I'll have good ballistics, but I'll have quite a bit less recoil than the 6.5 and 140 grain bullet variety. Hmm. As far as cost, loaded ammunition is relatively close. If you were to compare 6mm Creedmoor and 6.5 Creedmoor, factory offerings are relatively close. But when people get in this game, it's generally a reloading sport. There's a few people who shoot factory when they start out but once you progress into the sport reloading's kind of the option to pull the most amount of performance out of your given caliber so as far as cost i think six millimeters are actually going to cost a little bit more in the lifetime of the rifle just given that you're going to burn out barrels faster sometimes they can be a little bit harder on brass depending on how hot you run them things like that interesting um i just recently got a six five and I was looking at ammo prices and I'm like, oh, it's like a, over a dollar a round. 
And so it's like after a while, you can't help but be like $1, $2, $3, you know, just kind of add it up in your head. Um, yeah, exactly. So even like reloading, it was almost like half the cost. And that was just kind of a, you know, like a very general, just kind of a half quick or half fast, like looking at, you know, the cost of things. So I'm sure that you yeah. can get it a little bit less than that. Yeah. So we've had this discussion multiple times in the community and guys who have broke it down a lot farther than I have. Um, some of them would even tend to argue that factory ammunition can be had and shot cheaper than reloading, depending on how far down the reloading rabbit hole you go. Because the w- the way I've seen it broke down is that you're going to spend roughly a dollar, dollar twenty five, whatever the breakdown is for factory six, five or six millimeter ammunition. But then you also have the availability of to sell your brass. Once it's once fired, people will buy decent factory brass. So you can sell it and cut your cost down a little bit that way. When you look at reloading, there's a ton of hours involved in load development in the actual reloading process. And then you have to factory in all the equipment that you have to buy, the scales, the presses, uh, and then the components. So in the long run, I think reloading would eventually pay off and would eventually be cheaper. However, it's going to take quite a while to recoup the cost of buying multiple scales, buying high-end reloading equipment, because as precision rifle shooters, we're not buying the lowest of the low kits to reload with. We're buying high-quality reloading equipment, high-quality components. So it's something that you would really have to compare both ways on what you want to do and what you want to achieve out of your particular rifle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Have you seen an increase in people getting into long-range shooting? Oh, absolutely. Being in it only two years, I haven't seen the increase that a lot of the veterans have who have been around a long time. But just in the two years that I've been doing it, there's a huge uptick in it. You can really see it at the local level. There's a lot of guys who are coming out and doing it just to see if they like it. And then I've heard multiple times through social media and talking to guys at the national level matches that it's one of the fastest growing sports in the nation right now as far as firearms are considered or concerned. And why do you think that is? Um, I think there's just a little bit of a swing with the competitive shooting sports. Mm-hmm. At one point, it was, you know, the the competitive pistol scene was the cool thing to be doing. And then after that, the three guns started to come out. And a lot of the pistol guys kind of went the three gun way and started shooting three gun because it was new and cool. And I think now that it's just a natural progression in the firearms industry, that precision rifle shooting is the new cool thing that everybody wants to try along with a couple of products in the precision rifle industry that have made it easier for your everyday, your everyday Joe to get into the sport. Yeah. Uh, one of our patrons said, is it true long range guys get more chicks than the three gun guys? I don't think that's true at all. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of money, a lot of, uh, I don't want to say big egos, but there's a big production around three gun. Those guys are just kind of rock stars. The, the long range shooting guys are kind of more secluded. It seems to be less of a spectator sport, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to get into long range shooting, what advice would you give them? And then what would be a good setup for a beginner? Should they build their own gun or would you buy something that's already built? I think that if I was going to get into it again, I would probably go the factory, the factory route again buy a quality factory match rifle that's already set up something along the lines of the Rugers, uh, the Bergara's, 
even the Tikas right now are putting out awesome factory rifles that are plenty capable of shooting sub MOA. Some even claim sub half MOA. Uh, they're going to shoot better than most new beginning shooters. So I think it's just a good way for new shooters to not have to worry about building a custom rifle, worry about the components and things when they can take it out of the box, slap a good scope on it, get a good zero and go start having fun. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to get into the sport that way and probably a lot more addicting when things are smoother at the beginning like that. So I'm curious, like, let's say you are going to build a a custom gun. What components do you think are most important when building your own gun? Um, I think they're all equally important. Everything kind of comes together to build or to make this custom work the way it does. Mm -hmm. So I can't, if I had to specifically pick one component that I would really want to spend my money on, that'd be a barrel. I think that you really need to put your money into a quality top tier barrel from one of the top manufacturers. Mm -hmm. Or aside from that, I mean, your action's super important. Your trigger's super important, but they're also very subjective to what you like, what, how you want your action to feel, what features you want. And do you think that a custom action run like makes that much of a difference in accuracy? I think that straight out of the box they do. There's factory actions that can be built to be just as good, if not beat some custom labeled actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of guys are building Remington 700s, Tikas, uh, Hawa actions even. But I believe that there's a lot more work involved and possibly even more cost to get them up to the level of the customs. So I see a lot of guys build Remingtons. I see a lot of guys build Hawas, but you have to go in, you have to add certain features that you want. You have to true up the action and all of that starts to add up over time. I believe that if you're going to go the custom route, you might as well just buy a custom action and be happy straight from the get go. Mm-hmm. So I've heard We've had Ryan Kleckner on the show. And one thing that yeah, always... That a stud. Yeah, I know, right? And one thing that always stood out is uh, something that he said was that you should buy your rifle, but the most expensive thing on your rifle should be your optic. Like, whatever you pay for your rifle, you should spend, like, two or three times more for your optic. So, do you stand by that? Because I look at some of the prices of the optics after you just put a ton of money into your gun... And then typically, like, the optics is usually the last thing that I buy. So I'll look at the optics and the price, and it's just like, ugh. And it's like, well, do you just get something that, you know, is under $1,000? And it's like, okay, you know, or do you want to wait a little bit longer until you save up more for that optic budget? But then it's like you're prolonging your, you know, your shooting experience. Yeah. So I I share the same train of thought that Kleckner does, and I think a lot of the guys in the precision rifle community would agree that your optic is of the utmost importance. I think you should absolutely spend as much as you can on a top tier optic. Do you need to go throw money at the crazy high end optics? Probably not, but the top tier optics like the loophole Mark five are worth every penny for a multitude of reasons. The features that you get, the glass that you get, but the reliability is paramount you have to be able to input your data into that scope dial your come-ups or use your holdovers to hit the given target if your if your scope isn't tracking 100 percent true or close to 100 percent true 
then you'll be chasing your tail all day long trying to figure out why you can't hit a target, especially if the scope's not repeatable. Mm-hmm. It's You're just going to have a bad time. So I absolutely think that you need to spend a good amount of money on a quality optic. Mm-hmm. What optic would you recommend for a beginner? Well, And I mean, okay, so we will say, and we'll go over your sponsors here, but um, you are, you know, we'll tell everyone, like you are sponsored by Leopold, so... But if somebody were just getting their feet wet, they weren't sure if they wanted to take it up as, you know, as something long term, what would you recommend that they buy? So I would recommend doing your own research. I'm obviously a little bit brand biased towards uh, Leupold, mm-hmm. but I would look for a certain feature set in optics rather than a name brand. I would look for a optic somewhere with a high-end magnification from 15 to, uh, say, 25, 30. And then I would look for something with a reticle that you like that makes sense to you. I would look for tracking reliability and repeatability. And then I would look for other features that you want, such as locking turrets, a bigger tube, um, a a bigger objective lens. I would get on and do your own research, whether it's Something from Leupold, something from Nightforce. There's a multitude of companies that make top tier or slightly under very, very good scopes. We're kind of in the golden age of really top quality optics right now. So I would find something that checks all the feature sets or close to all the feature sets and is within your budget. I think that, I think it's easy to get a quality piece of glass that you're going to be happy with around that thousand to fifteen hundred dollar mark but once you start breaking into that two thousand twenty two hundred dollar mark you're really going to have a top quality optic so you think as far as optics you definitely get what you pay for absolutely i think there is good options to be had like i said around that thousand dollar fifteen hundred dollar mark you will have good optics such as the loophole lrp uh the very x3 lrp is a good option there's other companies that make scopes in that same feature set that are also probably comparable just depends on what you what you want what brand you have maybe some loyalty towards or who makes an optic that appeals to you and then do your research on the track record of that optic Hmm, okay so let's talk about your sponsors who are they so i have a handful of people that i work with i wouldn't necessarily call all of them sponsors but there is a handful of companies that I work with. Some I'm pro staff for, some say that they sponsor me. So uh, Leupold Optics, for one, I'm part of the Leupold Optics pro staff, which is pretty cool. Benchmark Barrels is another one. Ultimatum Precision Actions is another company they work with. My gunsmith is Upriver Precision Arms. I run their social media for them. And then Warhorse Development makes all of my shooting bags. And then... Anarchy Outdoors also helps me out a little bit, as well as Pete Boot Dryers. They also help me out. I think that I think that's all of them. I kind of have a stupid question, but when you say your bags, what do you mean? So all my shooting bags, I think in some of the pictures that I've shared in the Patreon group, you can see that I have a barricade bag. You'll see my four-legged bag. It's called a Saracen bag from War Horse Development. There's a multitude of other barricade bags that offer support that conform to certain barricades and offer stability on those barricades that can also be used as a rear bag or other type of support bag. Do you recommend that as opposed to like a bipod? Oh, so depending on the situation, that's a good question. 
depending on the situation that we're presented with at that given stage, I will always use my bipod as often as I can. However, some courses of fire that they set up prohibit the use of a bipod mm-hmm. or the situation that they put us in, a bipod isn't the best option because we have to get up to kneeling or standing or we're presented with a certain type of barricade that they will directly tell us our rifle has to be supported by. So imagine you were shooting off of a piece of wood turned on its edge, like a piece of plywood. That's kind of what the PRS barricades are like sometimes. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to set the forend of your rifle directly onto the barricade. You could, but when you use a, a solid barricade bag like that, it gives you more surface area for your rifle to contact. So instead of a little piece of two by four or a piece of plywood supporting the front of your rifle, you now have more surface area because the way that bag has conformed to it. So it offers more stability, especially when you pair it with something like a tripod in the back, and then you have two points of contact supporting your rifle. Hmm, interesting. And yeah. I only ask that because I've never shot long range. I plan on it. Um, I just recently, well, I guess not, not that recently, I guess two months ago, we're going almost two months. I got the fixed rifle from Q and I just ordered a bipod. I was figuring out what optics to use. Then I finally ordered the optic. Then I was like, Oh, I need the mount. It's like one thing after another, but eventually I will get there. <laughs> awesome. Hoping- so what, what bipod did you go with? Well, I actually was able to order whatever I wanted off of sportsman's guide. So I'm trying to think what that brand is. It wasn't a very high end brand. Okay. But, um, cause I don't know. I mean, in like a lot of this stuff, I also got a, uh, Palmetto State Armory AR 10. <laughs> and I kind of, you know, because everyone, I, I don't have like a ton of experience with PSA stuff, but you hear a lot of like mixed you know, mixed opinions. So I also kind of wanted to use it for sort of like a budget friendly shooting. So I got that. So I figured I could always update, you know, upgrade my bipod because I think the bipod itself on Sportsman's guy was probably maybe like $75 or less. Yeah. So it wasn't a very expensive bipod. And then the optics that I went with, uh, Trigicon and the mount is Trigicon as well. Awesome. I think that Trigicon offers a lot of really good options in the precision optic world. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I know what I'm talking about because I don't anything that has to do with long distance shooting. Um, I really only have a lot of experience with like handguns, ARs, and now I'm just getting my feet wet with, you know, with anything that's long distance. So I'm really excited to, you know, to test out both of those guns and kind of compare them. I think you'll be really happy with the fix. That's, Definitely an interesting rifle. It, it is. I, I would like to get behind one. So it's the only thing that I'm a little like that you hear different things is because it's so lightweight. So it's the entire rifle is like under eight pounds, which yeah. is awesome if you are, you know, even if I would imagine if you're going hunting because nobody wants to carry around like, you know, lug around like a 15, 20 pound rifle. And so, and I, and I actually was looking at the Leopold optics because I also wanted something that was lightweight as far as optics and Leopold had probably the best option. I think, and and don't quote me on this, but I believe the Mark five is one of the lightest, if not the lightest five to 25 in the, in the industry right now. Yeah. So I actually had my eyes on that and it was, uh, I was, I was going to get that. 
Because I kind of figured, I'm like, why would I? So here I have this beautiful gun that is made to be lightweight. And then it's nothing like ruin it by, you know, putting on a heavy bipod and optic and stuff. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that. So when a lot of new shooters start out, they have a tendency to try and stay lightweight because it seems ludicrous to shoot as heavy of a rifle as possible. But, it actually but when you start when you start competing, we actually build I wouldn't say the heaviest rifles we possibly can, but we purposely weight up our rifles. Mm-hmm. So we'll take like my my comp rifle right now is sitting somewhere around 23 pounds, uh, give or take a pound. I, me- I measured it on my bathroom scale. But that's kind of the current trend in precision rifle shooting is to weight up your rifle as much as possible because we're in the game of as little recoil as possible is very advantageous. Mm-hmm. When when we're at these matches, unless it's a field style match like what's offered at the Rifleman's Team Challenge, generally you have to spot your own impacts. So you don't have a spotter like you would see uh, out at the range, you know, when you're training with your buddies, you're just out to shoot when you can get corrections from your, from your spotter, whoever's in glass behind you. When, when we compete and you're on time, it's your job to spot all of your, all of your impacts. The, the range officer will only let you know if it is an impact. Hmm. So if you miss, it's obviously advantageous to see where that shot went and make a correction for there for the rest of the stage. Mm-hmm. So the heavier these rifles are, that's why I'm going to six millimeter Creedmoor or any of the small sixes that the guys are pushing. They offer the lowest amount of recoil with the highest amount of performance. And then you put them in a 20 plus pound rifle and that rifle really doesn't move when you put it in compromised positions like barricades or some other sort of natural terrain that doesn't offer the most amount of stability. Hmm. So I wonder what, I, well, I'm curious to see what my performance would be then. Cause it is, I did opt for the 6.5 Creedmoor and, um, I don't know. Your, yeah. your recoils, your recoil is going to be, going to yeah. be manageable and yeah. well, relatively like, tame, but it's not like the I'm difference trying is, to do competitions. Like I'm just, and oh, yeah. and that's actually another question that one of the Patreons asked, and I was actually going to ask you this as well. So what would you recommend if somebody doesn't have access to a long distance range? So I think I have access to a thousand yard range and that's as far as I have access to. So what would you recommend for somebody to practice if they don't, you know, if they can't go uh, to range the offers? A thousand, thousand yards is, is a long ways. Um, well, yeah, for me, our, but, but let's say, you know, I know other ranges and, and this, you'd have to be a member of the range that I'm going to. Other than that, I think there's only maybe a 500 yard range available. So, and I, and even that like is, decent yeah so i got into this discussion i got into this discussion the other day if you don't have the availability of a range immediately around you to practice all the stuff that you need to practice to become proficient with a precision rifle i would suggest rimfire i train with my rimfire rifle i would say half or a little more than half of what i put through my big rifle Mm -hmm. or the amount of times rather i put a lot of rounds though through a rimfire that's uh, has the same reticle, has a similar trigger pull to my comp rifle. And I can train that, you know, 80, 100 yards because that little 22 bullet really gets pushed around in the smallest amounts of wind in a small amount of distance. So practicing off barricades with a rim fire at small targets, you know, whether it's one, two inches or even up to five inches off of a certain barricade is a pretty tough and tricky shot. Mm-hmm. So. 
training with rimfire has definitely made me a better marksman when it comes to my full calibers my full caliber match rifles and so then another thing that i would suggest is if someone has the availability to is to build a 223 or similar trainer so say like a a 6.5 a 6 creedmoor match style calibers when you're talking six, seven, eight hundred yards, some of those shots can get kind of mundane if you're shooting in really good conditions or not off of a barricade, right? So some people might might think that a seven or eight hundred yard shot is getting a little boring or a little bit easy when they're laying on their belly or shooting the same practice routine that they always do. So a lot of the a lot of it, there's a lot of advantage in a two twenty three trainer in that it doesn't handle the wind as well as some of the big match caliber. So training with a 22 or a two, two, three trainer is something really advantageous that someone who doesn't have all the access to a gigantic range could, could utilize. Hmm. We are here with Douglas year and I'm going to take a quick break to talk about Hackett equipment. So in two days, you guys can pre-order your rifle burrito bag it's, uh, I saw it at, uh, I think I saw it at SHOT Show. It's a super nice bag. I can't wait for it to come out. If you guys want to check it out, go to hackettequipment.com. Don't forget to use that code GUNFUNNY20 and that gets you 20% off. And then what are some of the elements that you consider before taking a shot? So, um, I seen this question asked in the Patreon group. Which is a good question because, it, I mean, especially for me, if I am like, oh, I'm going to go shoot long range, you know, today and it's like super windy or I don't know, super sunny. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of things that a lot of people, I guess, wouldn't consider. Yep, exactly. So I mean, wind would uh, obviously be pretty obvious, but or if it isn't that mm-hmm. sunny, because I mean, doesn't doesn't that also kind of affect how well you can see out of your optic or is that kind of? Uh, yeah, it depends. Like if the sun was right in your face, uh, obviously your optics going to wash out a little bit and be tougher to see, but some of the, some of the environmental considerations that you're going to see a lot of shooters trying to monitor would be your wind speed and direction, your barometric pressure, humidity and temperature, or the combined three that they refer to as density altitude. So we use, all of us use some sort of ballistic calculating device such as a Kestrel, a phone app, something along those lines. And to use one of those properly, you have to monitor, like I said, the barometric pressure, the temperature, the humidity, and wind speed and direction would be the biggest elements. You'll see a lot of shooters use Kestrel ballistics calculators that have the the wind meter, uh, or, you know, the I don't want to call it a wind vane, but the little fan that captures wind speed. Uh, as well as the other environmental factors that are happening before you take a shot. And then all that's placed either into your Kestrel or into your phone to give you the proper dope. Yeah, what, dope is, and, what does that stand for? Uh, so dope is data of previous engagements. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a term that snipers used prior to our current era. When they kept log books, they would keep a log book that had all the environmental factors and the factors of each shot taken so that when they were presented with that situation, that shot again, they could refer back to the data that they had the last time they made a good contact on target with that data. Hmm. So it's just kind of carried over into people who call it doping your rifle or refer to your rifle dope. That's just data of previous engagements. That's 
the the wind hold and the vertical correction that you'll need to make the shot in those in that current situation. Okay. All right. And then another Patreon question. So a buddy of mine came back from class. He was telling me you can figure out muzzle velocity when comparing your shots from 100 to 200. The instructor told him it's better and more accurate than chrono. Okay. So I'm glad we brought this one up. What they're referring to is called truing your velocity. So when you take a shot at extended ranges, say 200 yards and out, anything that you have to correct your elevation for, there's what they call truing your velocity. And it's a common practice in precision rifles that a lot of competitors use or a lot of shooters use. So what they're doing is you take your rifle and your given load and your environmental factors you have, you've accounted for all of those. So you figure by shooting across your chronograph or by the print number on the box that your specific load is going to be running at some certain velocity. Let's use, for instance, my six mil or my six five Creedmoor right now. I'm running a 140 Barnes match burner at 2705. So when I run it across the chronograph and it tells me that my average speed is 2705, it gives me a correction to dial up to a certain yardage, say it's 580 yards, I know is 3.1 mils generally for my rifle. I practice that shot a lot. Mm -hmm. So if you're to take that rifle the first time you ever shoot it out to 580 yards and your calculator tells you to come up 3.1 mils, so you dial 3.1 mils of elevation onto your turret and you send that round and you have confidence that you've monitored all your environmentals you broke the shot clean and your round still impacts high or low. Shooters will use a calculator to subtract or add velocity into their equation to make the correction. So say you shoot the round at the 3.1 and it hits a little bit high, you're going to add a little bit of velocity in your calculator to make the correction to say 3.0 or 2.9 so that you have a good impact. And that's what they're doing is using their drop to true their velocity in their, in their calculator. That's not exactly how I do it. A little bit more advanced method is to run your chronograph speed that they give you that say 2705. Again, I run that 2705 that my chronograph gives me. And then I adjust the ballistic coefficient of my bullet to match the drop that I'm seeing at a given yardage compared to my calculator. It's a trick that I learned from a gentleman named Carl Taylor, who is up here in the Pacific Northwest. The reason being is that you can't adjust the speed of your chronograph. Your chronograph is always going to give you one particular reading, or it's always going to give you the reading that it's going to give you. So that's a variable that you cannot control other than adjusting your powder charge up or down. But you can look at your chronograph. The one thing that changes is the way specific barrels cut bullets. The way the, the way the rifling contorts the bullet and imparts the, the lands and grooves mm -hmm. into the bullet. Mm -hmm. So your ballistic coefficient, your bullet is going to change depending on what type of barrel you have, whether it be a six groove, five groove, four or three groove. That's going to change the ballistic coefficient number of that bullet up or down a few small points. So I run the chronograph, the, the number the chronograph gives me. And then I adjust using my ballistic coefficient so that my calculator and my actual real world drop to the target matchup. Hmm, okay. So 
to go back on the question, yes, you could technically true it from one to 200, but there's going to be a very small amount of drop from 100 to 200 with most calibers like the 6.5 Creedmoor. There's going to be a negligible amount of drop. So if you want to true your velocity or true your data, I would suggest shooting out to five, six, seven hundred, even a thousand yards and getting more drop in your bullets so that you have a bigger variable to true it with, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes sense. It's definitely, <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's a lot of nerd I'm lost. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a lot of nerd talk. There's, there's a lot of math in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think that's probably one of the reasons why it's increasing in popularity is because it's so challenging. It's not it, just like definitely is. going in the range and shooting a handgun, you know, point blank at a target. Like yeah. there's a lot of factors involved and, and I think people are just, you know, they want to be challenged. There's a, there's a lot of variables involved. I can't remember who, who pointed this out to me um, when I got into this game, but the whole goal of a precision rifle shooter is to, or long range shooter, depending on how you want to refer to it, is to control the most amount of variables possible to take a given shot, whether that is controlling your ammunition by the components that you use and the level of accuracy in your reloads Mm -hmm. to the components of your rifle and the amount of accuracy that your rifle potentially has, and then the environmental factors when you take the shot, such as the stuff that we talked about earlier, the barometric pressure, temperature, all that we have to control or monitor as many variables as possible to give ourselves the highest probability of making a first round and subsequent hits after that. So if you're using the best gear possible, that eliminates a variable. You're using the most accurate rifle possible, that eliminates another variable. And if you're monitoring your weather with reliable gear like a weather flow meter or a Kestrel, you're monitoring those environmental variables as closely as possible and then basically it's all up to a good trigger pull and reading the wind good and you control those variables as much as possible you up your hit probability interesting okay yeah it's a lot of geek talk it's definitely kind of overwhelming yeah it can be it's it's a i think sean always talks about the dunning kruger effect so when you start out and you start hitting targets, you think you know there is, you think you know everything there is to know. And then as you go on, you realize how much you don't know and how much more there is to learn about the, about the sport and about ballistics. And then you force yourself into new situations and positions that just opens up another rabbit hole of letting you know exactly what you don't know about this sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So. For people who want to find you and follow you on like social media and stuff, where can they? My Facebook is just Douglas Year Out. Send me a friend request. I also run the social media for Upriver Precision Arms. That's my gunsmith. You can get a hold of me on there, see pictures of me and my teammates for Upriver Precision Arms. My Instagram handle, I believe, is Year Out, Y E A R O U T 658, which is my national rifle league number all right cool and you're gonna hang out for a little bit correct yes okay (laughs) before we get into the knowledge bomb let's talk about q so doug you kind of gave me a little bit of advice on uh on my rifle i have the fix 
and I'm just waiting for a bipod and then I'm going to do a review on that. Uh, but I am super freaking excited. If you guys want to check out the fix, it comes in 308 or 6.5 Creedmoor. Go to liveqordie.com. Dropping wisdom. Slinging truth. Prepare yourself for Knowledge Bomb. Today's Knowledge Bomb is brought to you by Tate Mesman, who is one of our Patreons. Let's see what he has to say. The H&K USP. One of my personal favorite firearms ever. The Universal Self-Loading Pistol, or known as the USP, was developed between 1989 and 1992. The USP was developed for the U.S. market after the FBI called the switch from 10mm to 40 Smith & Wesson. The USP was released at SHOT Show in 1993. A fun fact is that the USP predates 1913 Picatinny Rail. The 1913 Picatinny Rail was tasked in 1992, then later being adopted in 1995. One of the USP's biggest criticisms is that it does not have a standard accessory mounting system. That is because there was not a standard accessory mounting system that even existed. In fact, Glock didn't even have an accessory mounting system until 1998, when they released the Glock Gen 3 17C, with a 1913 rail. Even though the USP predates a standard mounting system, H&K had their own. H&K even had an entire lineup of different accessories. Some of these accessories included a flashlight, a laser, even a flashlight-laser combo, as well as a muzzle compensator that attaches to the rail. These are just a few of the reasons I am in love with this firearm and hope that you learned a thing or two. My name is Tate Messman, and this was my Knowledge Bomb. That is super interesting. I didn't know any of that. Uh, so, Tate, thank you so much for sharing, and thanks for taking the time to record that. Hopefully, we'll have you on more, because uh, I love that segment, and your deliverance was amazing. Now let's talk about Matador Arms. So the Fury Grip, one of my favorite grips out there. It fits my hand really well. It has a really nice design. So if you're looking for something that is slightly skeletonized, but not completely, because I know a lot of people always fear like, well, what if I get my fingers stuck in the skeletonized grip, which is kind of dumb because it's kind of not really possible, but definitely check out the Fury Grip. They have it on sale right now, $79.99, but if you use that code GUNFUNNY10, you will get 10% off, and that's at matadorarms.com. All right, guys, so I have some good news and I have some bad news. We are going to be doing away with the prank calls. Uh, I know, sad day. I kind of feel like it's ran its course a little bit. Uh, Sean and I have gotten to the point where we kind of hate making them. We might bring them back here and there, but I think we're going to, for right now, we're just going to take a break. So we are replacing that segment with the AF segment. Yep. You heard that right. That's the AF segment as in Ava Flanell. Also funny AF, stupid AF. 
whatever you want to say. Anyways, what I want to talk about right now is recently, uh, just a few days ago, PayPal closed my Elite Farms and Training account. I don't really use PayPal as like my main processor, but I do have it on my store on the website. Uh, just if people, you know, if they want to buy apparel, patches, they have that option to pay with PayPal instead. I do not sell firearms on my website. Literally, I only have training classes and then merchandise. And even the merchandise does not even have guns on it. It just says elite firearms and training. So the other day I got an email saying that my account was limited. And I knew that PayPal was anti-gun. I knew that it, it had been closing quite a few accounts. But I just assumed, okay, if that time comes for me, I'm no big deal. They closed my account. I'll just go to my account, transfer my funds, and figure out a new alternative. So I went to the account, and I couldn't transfer anything. Literally, my entire account was froze. And I got this message that says, per the user agreement, when PayPal permanently limits an account due to an acceptable use policy violation, any funds in your account are held for 180 days. 180 days. That's six months, guys. After 180 days, if applicable, we'll contact you with information on how to withdraw any money in your PayPal account. So um, I posted a screenshot of this on my Instagram. Mr. Guns and Gear, Mike, he reached out to me and he said that same thing happened to him a few years back and they refused to pay him. They said that they couldn't pay him. They couldn't pay him uh, because it went against their guidelines. And so then I looked and I'm like, all right, well, what are their guidelines? Like, what did I, what violations did I break? The only thing in their acceptable use policy that has anything to do with anything firearm related, it says, uh, ammunition firearms or certain firearm parts or accessories or certain weapons or knives regulated under applicable law cannot be sold. But I'm not selling any of that. Like firearm accessories, I wouldn't say shirts are really firearm accessories. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty annoyed. I'm, I plan on today, now that it's Monday, I plan on giving them a call, seeing if I can get somebody on the phone, but I've talked to a few companies and the same thing happened to them. Luckily, I only had maybe, I mean, not a ton of money in there, but, uh, there was a few companies that I've heard from that had like 30 to $40,000 in their account. So if you guys do use PayPal as your main processor and you have a bunch of money in there, absolutely withdraw the money right now. If you still have to use it, I would literally withdraw the money as soon as it comes in, but don't keep a lot of money in there because this kind of stuff can really ruin a small business. If your funds are held for six months, that's insane. And I honestly, I have no idea how that's even legal. So I'll, uh, I'll keep you guys posted, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty freaking pissed about this. I did also release a YouTube video. So if you guys have not checked out my YouTube page yet, all you have to do is just search for Ava Flannell on YouTube. That's A-V-A-F-L-A-N-E-L-L. So yeah, that's our first AF segment. I would just call it probably BSAF, but okay, whatever. All right, let's talk about a polymer 80. So I am releasing a video either today or tomorrow about the Kedone. So I've been calling it the Kedon and I realized, oh, that's not the correct terminology. <laughs> Yay. When was somebody going to correct me? So nobody corrected me. I uh, was looking on other YouTube videos and I realized this entire time I've been saying it wrong. <laughs> That's a little embarrassing. Anyways, I did the Cadone video. I finally got mine. I tested it out. It's 
so much freaking fun. And what's really awesome, as opposed to a lot of, if you, if you'll say competition out there, the ketone, depending on the adapter that you have, it will fit up to a hundred firearms and counting. So it's perfect for, let's say you want like a pistol caliber carbine, but you don't want to spend a ton of money. If you already have these handguns, just get the ketone. It's, uh, I believe, let me see how much is it right now? Right now it's on sale for $350. Get the Kidone. You can pick out what brace you want to put on it. You pick out uh, if you want sights or a red dot. Uh, it has Picatinny rail so you could add accessories. So there's still that leverage for kind of, you know, picking and choosing certain parts and, and creating it so it's yours. But I would definitely recommend doing that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And so I'm going to release a video. I also show you guys how to, you know, connect handguns inside the Cadone and, and all of that stuff. So check it out. Again, it's on my YouTube, Ava Flanell. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. All right, let's talk Tactic Talk. So, Doug, you wanted to talk about the Loophole Mark 5HD. And like I said, I was looking at that optic to put on my rifle, the Fix. It is extremely lightweight, which is kind of interesting because you said, you know, most precision rifle shooters, they want something or they want it to add weight. So it is kind of interesting that they they kind of went the lightweight route. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. Last weekend I had the honor, I guess, of shooting with the project manager of the Loophole Mark V. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty cool to get a shoot with him and kind of talk to him about some of the features of the Mark V. The reason I wanted to talk to it specifically is it's just one piece of gear that has changed the way that I personally approach some stages. It's an incredible optic. Like I said, another it's another top tier optic. There's a gamut of top tier optics in our game. But the loophole Mark V for me has changed the way that I attack some stages in the glass clarity and the reticle option that I chose. So I shoot a loophole Mark V, 5 to 25 currently with a CCH reticle. It's a reticle that loophole came up with themselves, stands for combat, competition, and hunting. And it's this optic is just given me more confidence in holding over versus dialing, which sometimes is faster. It's given me more confidence for shooting weak side stages versus strong side stages that they throw at us because the glass is more clear because there's more light coming in than my previous optic that I had that made situations like that a little bit more difficult. And it's just a piece of gear that I absolutely love. The cool thing is to loophole announced this year that they are making a seven to 35, which I'm hoping to have my hands on by the end of this week, beginning of next week. Wow. That's pretty big. Yeah. I, I think the whole, the whole reason that they make the Mark five as light as they do is to make it kind of a crossover optic from like the name of the CCH suggests, you know, it's combat competition and hunting. So to be able to make that lightweight, Hunters can use it. Um, people who are using it in combat can use it and save a little bit of weight as well as competition hunter or sorry, competition shooters can use it and have a top tier optic on their rifle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I'm curious. How did you become sponsored by them? Um, so I just 
right place, right time, I guess. I worked on a few projects for the Ruger Precision Rifle with a company called Catalyst Arms. I became good friends with the owner of Catalyst Arms, Matt Foster, who had some ties at Leupold. Um, and he introduced me to his shooting teammate, who was uh, John Snodgrass, the product manager of the Leupold Mark V. And we just kind of hit it off and talked a couple of times at a couple of different team matches. And then last year, midsummer, I shot a match up in Kettle Falls, Washington, and a couple of the loophole employees happened to be up there shooting the match, unbeknownst to me. And my personality, I'm kind of loud and outgoing, and a gentleman walked by who had a really cool Groucho Marx-looking mustache, and he walked by, and I said, hey, man, that's a pretty cool mustache. And he kind of stopped and laughed and said thanks and kept walking. And a little while later, uh, we did pretty good at that match, me and my teammate. So I picked up a loophole optic off the prize table and was approached on Instagram by the gentleman with the mustache, John Warren. And we kind of got to talking and he asked me if I would like to shoot for loophole optics. And the rest is kind of history. I got, got offered the spot and got on with, got on with them, you know, and been working my butt off on social media, talking to people, trying to sell scopes and binoculars and spotting scopes for them. And apparently they've, found something in me that was slightly marketable. So they offered me a spot on the team again for the 2019 season. Hell yeah. Did they, did, when he approached you on Instagram, did he start the sentence off with, I mustache you a question? <laughs> no, he didn't, but that would have been pretty funny, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I just can't believe that, that my personality that some people would refer to as a smart ass actually got me, got me somewhere in life versus getting me in trouble. Right. So iTunes review. So right now we, I noticed, uh, last week when I said, guys, we need iTunes reviews. A lot of you actually did write quite a few reviews. We're still definitely in need of some. I did get a review that's pretty long. So I only posted this one and it also makes me happy because this comes from a female. So it's from underscore B underscore MC underscore G five stars. Hey, you guys. If you didn't read that in a sloth voice, then I'm disappointed. I don't really know what a sloth voice is. There's no way for me to keep this super short or sweet. Love the podcast. I work from home and started listening two weeks ago on a binge and just finished yesterday. Dude, that's insane. I wonder, I'm assuming that you started from scratch uh, from the first episode. Which made me sad because Ava calling Sean fat and their general banter is so entertaining. The interviews are all great. Love the prank calls. More importantly, I appreciate that they're in the 2A world. More on my side of things. I'm a young female with no prior military law enforcement experience other than being a meal team six member. I recently obtained my CWP from Palmetto State Armory. Actually, I actually didn't even know that they taught classes. Fun fact, I'm 10 minutes from the flagship Somerville store, so Ava should visit and give me pointers. I would love to. Sean can stay where he's at. Haha. Even though I try to go often, there is still that feeling of being eye-rolled when I walk when I walk up by myself. Maybe I should get some khaki so I could fit in. Uh, or put the boring black grip module back on the P320. Don't worry, I won't drop it, lol. Thanks for a great show and can't wait to keep up with it every week. I'm learning a lot and interested in training to be certified. I technically found you guys because I read that terrible article in the post, Team Alexo member in the house, and was disappointed by how terrible it was at portraying members of the community, but I'm glad I found this podcast. Thanks, guys. Hashtag Meal Team 6. 
I love this review. I also love that there's so many females who are listening to this show. So I just want to pick you as the winner. I sorry, there's no no contest. So contact me and I will send you either a Lone Wolf Ultimate Connector Kit with three connectors and a spring or a Gun Funny patch. We also just recently got new Gun Funny patches and the color this time is navy blue. And when you pay, sorry, we don't accept PayPal. All right, that wraps up the show. Doug, thank you once again for spending so much time with me and uh, talking about long distance shooting. And again, um, where can people, you know, follow you on uh, social media? Uh, Follow me on social media, Instagram, uh, year out. 658, uh, follow Upriver Precision Arms. I would greatly appreciate that because I'm super tired of Zuckerberg throttling all my posts for Upriver Precision Arms on Facebook. Uh, drop us a like there. You can kind of keep up with what me and my teammates at Upriver Precision Arms are doing, uh, how we're doing in competitions, rifles that we're building. Um, and then follow me. Send me a friend request on my personal Facebook. I'll send you a friend request back or however that whole thing works and you can kind of see what I'm up to. Ask me questions. Don't feel bad to PM me on any of my accounts and ask about rifles. I absolutely love talking about this stuff. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Don't be afraid to get hold of me. Awesome. Well, thank you once again. I really appreciate it. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate it. You have a good night. You too. Bye. All right, let's wrap up. So guys, if you want to look for us, we are at gunfunny.com. You can find links to everything there. If you can't get enough of us, think about becoming a Patreon. I know Doug is a Patreon. We have a lot of fun in that group. It's crazy how, it's crazy how much you just kind of become friends with people that you've never met face to face, but you, you know, you feel so close to them. And I'm really looking forward to a meeting a lot of you guys at the NRA show next week. Um, I'm actually staying with a few Patreons. Again, I don't even know them, but we're kind of like family. So if you don't have a ton of family or a ton of friends, join our Patreon. For a dollar, you get access to our, our Patreon-only Facebook page. And uh, and then there's also other benefits as well. I want to thank our $25 Patreons. Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran 8888, Charger Arms, Ryan Morrison, Kevin Brittingham, Nathan Keck, and Michael Alexio. And our king of the Patreon right now is Jon Snow. And he wants me to sing. What? Wait, what? Did I read that right? Okay, here we go. I love it when you call me Big Papa. Throw your hands in the air if you're a true player. I love it when you call me Big Papa. To the honeys getting paid, playing blank like dummies. Oh, yeah. I'm going to quit my day job. <laughs> okay. Uh, last thing, Tag Pack giveaway, guys. We give away a Tag Pack every month. If you want to enter, go to gunfunny.com forward slash TP. That uh, gets you in the raffle. Otherwise, if you want to just go to Tag Pack and get yours today, use the code gunfunny and you will receive a free SOG tool uh, with your first order. All right. Well, Doug, thank you so much for joining us. And guys, if you're thinking about, you know, if you want to get a little closer with Gun Funny, become a Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash Gun Funny. Okay, I'm out. Want to send feedback? Suggest a place to prank call? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.